people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. So glad you joined me. Happy Memorial Day. Very important time to... uh, Remember our our military men and women, both uh, present and past. Well, we figured out this week why the unemployment rate is so low. Yes, sir. We've got that uh, determined now because apparently 40% of the people that are unemployed have quit looking for jobs. 40% have quit looking for jobs. When their benefits run out, they're no longer counted part of the workforce. So the participation rate has been continually going down. It's the lowest it's been since, I don't know, 1960 or something like that. And that participation rate keeps shrinking because people stop looking for jobs. Here's a, 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 a brilliant, brilliant statement from Department of Labor and the people who research this stuff, the longer someone is out of work, the more likely it is that they've quit looking. (laughs) Really? Really, as an employer, uh, I I find it strange that all employers don't go knocking door-to-door, giving people jobs as they answer the door. I mean, we do that all the time. So uh, 40% of the unemployed have quit looking for jobs, and it's no no wonder why the economy is in the shape it's in with that kind of an attitude. It, it just it just boggles my mind. I mean, I grew up in an environment. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, owned many companies, and he always told me that if I was willing to create value, someone would pay for that value. And there was, in the Rathman household, there was no no opportunity, no option of going on unemployment. That, That was not an option. It didn't matter if you were offered a job that paid you less than the last job you had. That didn't matter. You were offered a job, they were gonna pay you, we were obligated to take the job and provide value. Obviously, that attitude is not the prevailing attitude in the job market today. Once again, as an employer, I can tell you, very difficult to find qualified people. I talked to another uh, medium-sized company in the last week, and they can't find good people. They can't find people. They, they hired one person, 
and after training them for several weeks, committed 31 errors on a single piece of paperwork. 31 errors. I, 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 boggles my, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you can do that. But along that same note, thousands of people gathered this week to march in front of McDonald's headquarters in Illinois demanding 15 bucks an hour. Now, this is interesting. You remember a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I don't know when it was, we talked about Walmart closing some of their stores due to uh, plumbing problems. I mean, they closed the store due to plumbing problems. And it was six different stores around the United States, and, and most of those stores had labor issues. Uh, people protesting or unions making a big deal, and they closed the stores. McDonald's now, okay, they're, they're protesting in front of the corporate headquarters in Illinois, has nothing to do with the individual franchisees. Yes, McDonald's owns some company stores. But as we talked about before, they're selling those. They're, they're, they're selling those franchises out to general investors. They'll reach a point where they don't have any corporate stores, I predict. But in the meantime, all these, I guess they had about 3,000 people come from all over the country to protest at McDonald's headquarters. And the Chicago Tribune had an article on it and had several quotes that I, I just couldn't let go. I couldn't let go. Now, they're urging an hourly wage uh, for frontline workers to be increased to 15 bucks an hour. 15 an hour. Now, we, like I said before, we went from President Obama's 1010 to 15 bucks real fast. But anyway, the article in the Chicago Tribune quotes a uh, one of the protesters. He came from Kansas City, Missouri, a gentleman by the name of Daryl Miller, who's 35. And he got on a bus Tuesday night filled with other protesters, said he decided to join in because it was his dream to march like Reverend Martin Luther King and fight for freedom. <clears throat> uh, let's think about that for a second. Fight for freedom? Free, f Martin Luther King was fighting for civil rights and personal freedom. He was not fighting to take freedom away from someone else and give it to him. Mr. Miller's job at McDonald's, he said, gives him no control over his life or his independence because the seven seventy-five an hour he is paid barely covers his bills. Now, once again, I'm not picking on Mr. Miller. I don't know the man. Don't know anything about him. I'm sure he's a lovely person. The problem is the attitude, the attitude. He has no control over his life. Really? No control? And 15 bucks an hour 
is going to give him control over his life? I don't think so. Why is he 35 years old working at McDonald's for minimum wage? There is a reason for that. Apparently, that's the value he creates as other frontline workers create for McDonald's. That's 775. The fact that he has no control over his life is is uh, fantasy. I, I don't even know what to, to call that. Of course he has control over his life. He doesn't have to work there. He can work somewhere else. If he can create more than $7.75 worth of value, someone will pay him more than $7.75 worth of value. He doesn't have any control over his independence because it barely covers his bills. Who created those bills? Those are his bills. He spent the money. Now, many of the people at McDonald's are in the same position, and I don't necessarily blame them as much as I blame their attitude, the culture and education they grew up in. McDonald's will gladly pay them more than fifteen dollars gladly pay them fifteen dollars an hour if they're able to provide more than fifteen dollars an hour of value to McDonald's. Now once again, we're we're getting confused here between McDonald's corporate and McDonald's franchisees. If you're a McDonald's franchisee, you're an independent. You control your own expenses and wages wherever your franchise restaurant is at. And picketing McDonald's headquarters ain't going to do a lot for working at the individual franchises. So it's interesting. Many of the unemployed have quit looking for jobs <clears throat> Other people that are employed are figuring out ways, whether they know it or not, to very quickly become unemployed. Up next, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Export-Import Bank and how Boeing is trying to flex their muscles as well as some other government loans that are likely to... uh, get written off and and use yours and my tax money uh, to pay off. We'll talk about that next. It's an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. You know, crony capitalism, one of those phrases that has caught on relative to big corporations getting favors from the government. A year ago, I talked to John Ellison. John was the former CEO of BB&T, Branch Bank and Trust, 
And at the time last year, he was the president of the Cato Institute. He has since retired uh, from that. But he's written several books. And he doesn't like the term crony capitalism. He likes the term crony socialism. And I tend to agree with him. Coming up in the next segment, Walter Williams is going to be joining us from George Mason University and author of a new book, uh, America's Contempt for Liberty. And we talk about crony capitalism or crony socialism uh, a little bit. So you want to want to stay with us for that. But coming up at the end of June is the renewal of the Export Import Bank. Now, the Export-Import Bank is a, a government agency. It's not really a bank. Uh, kind of acts like a bank, but it really isn't. It was set up to help American corporations make sure they got paid in a timely manner for product and services that they sold outside of the country. And as with any government organization, it becomes messed up over time because it's a government organization, kind of the nature of the beast. And the company that benefits the most from the Export-Import Bank is Boeing. Now, if there's anybody in this country that probably doesn't need a loan guarantee from the government for selling its, its product outside the United States, it's Boeing. It's not like small corporations around the globe are buying Boeing jets and Boeing's having trouble collecting. They're selling to governments, uh, major, major companies, that kind of stuff. They're, they're getting their money. But they like the Export-Import Bank because it, it gives them cheap money and they can exploit it. Well, Boeing, you know, there's a lot of talk that the Export-Import Bank may be allowed to expire. Boeing is threatening, kind of in a left-handed way. They didn't come right out and say it. But they're threatening to leave the country. They're threatening to move Boeing outside of the United States. Now, they came out, they didn't come out and say that directly, but they implied it. They said they would not sit idly by if the Export-Import Bank's mandate was not renewed by the end of June. Boeing is not going to let itself be hurt by the lack of an Export-Import Bank. And if it means sourcing to other countries who will support us, we may have to look at that. Other countries have more aggressive export policies. We will find an alternative. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, it's about time that our Congress quits being blackmailed by everybody that can write a big check. Now, personally... I think the Export-Import Bank is going to be renewed, even if it's just temporarily again. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think we ought to call um, Boeing's bluff, and indeed uh, the Republican chairman of the House Financial Services Committee is doing just that. 
Representative Jeb Hensarling of Texas said at the Washington Press, eh, he doubts that they uh, would do that. Uh, I think it's frankly a bit of a bluster. I don't know what a bluster is, but apparently he's not taking it too serious. I mean, why would Boeing do that to the United States government if Congress had the guts to cancel all the contracts they have with Boeing? Boeing makes all their money, vast majority of their money, in the United States anyway. So to threaten to leave if they don't get a government subsidy, by the way, it's to the tune of $10 billion or something, which to you and me is a lot of money, but to Boeing is not a lot of money. But Congress is either going to renew it or they'll cut some backroom deal with Boeing to allow them to get taxpayer money to use anyway. But it's important to look at this and watch this. Talk to your Congress people about the Export-Import Bank because we don't need it, and it's a drain on more taxpayer money. Now, speaking of loan write-offs, the <laughs> you're going to love this. The uh, Department of Education, United States government, just received 78,000 student requests to discharge them of their student loans. This is after the, the closure of Corinthian College. So when a, when a college or university gets shut down like this, even though it's a for-profit institution instead of a nonprofit, the student loan paperwork essentially says they can ask for debt discharge. So 78,000 students asked for debt discharge, totaling about $200 million. And I'll bet you my car, they're going to give it to them. Department of Education is going to forgive that debt. Now, if they forgive that, they're going to forgive a lot more. Up next, Dr. Walter Williams will be joining me. I can't wait. I'm Gary Rathbun. It's an economy of one. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. Now, back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We're joined now by Dr. Walter E. Williams. He's the John M. Olin Distinguished Professor of Economics at George Mason University, National Fellow at the Hoover Institute, and the author of many books, including Race and Economics, How Much Can Be Blamed on Discrimination, and Up from the Projects, an autobiography. His newest book, American Contempt for Liberty, was just released by the Hoover Institution Press, and uh, this is a real honor for me, Professor. Welcome to An Economy of One. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I, uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. I've got about four hours of material to cover, so I uh, <laughs> hope you cleared your calendar for us. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, I mean, I, uh, I picked up your book. It's a compilation of a lot of your, your previous writings and columns and stuff, but I'm sure you get asked this all the time. 
Uh, pretty provocative title. Um, does America, have, have we reached the point where we have a contempt for liberty? Well, I, I think so, and, uh, and, and maybe uh, Americans don't realize it, but uh, I think that most Americans believe that it is okay for the government, whether it's federal, state, or local government, to forcibly use one American to serve the purposes of another. Mm-hmm. And that is, it forces one American, let's say, uh, to serve the purposes of farmers. That is, uh, when the money that you're earning... Uh, they say, well, we're going to force some of the, you, you to give some of it to farmers in terms of crops or, I'm sorry, crops uh, supports, mm-hmm. or to bail out big business and banks, or to give to uh, uh, welfare recipients to give in foreign aid. And I think that it's immoral to forcibly use one person to serve the purposes of another. And matter of fact, that's a working definition of slavery. Right, right. Now, we've got more and more and more people on... Um, government subsistence. I mean, they're receiving stuff from the government that that, and that's really against our initial founding principles. Why, why, why have we ended up here? It's not a uh, a Republican or a Democrat thing. I mean, how did we end up where we're at from an entitlement you're, you're, standpoint? You're, you're absolutely right, and uh, and one of the things that uh, I don't know how we ended up. I'm not. I'm not absolutely sure. But it's surely not the vision of the past. Uh, you know, the, everybody recognizes that James Madison was the acknowledged father of the mm-hmm. United States Constitution. And in 1794, Congress appropriated $15,000 to help, help some French refugees. James Madison stood on the floor of the house irate, and he said, and I'm quoting him, I cannot undertake to lay my finger on that article in the Constitution that authorizes Congress to spend the money of their constituents for the purposes of benevolence. Now, if you look at the federal budget today, two-thirds or three-quarters of it is for the purposes of benevolence. Now, the, the important question is, what would the American people do to a presidential candidate running today who would make the same utterances that James Madison made. Plus, he also said that charity is not part of the legislative duty of, of government. The American people would run them out of town on the rail because they would have contempt for the idea that government is, uh, the Constitution does not allow, does not permit uh, the government to take money from one person to give to another. And and I'm not complaining about taxes because they're, you know, in Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution, there's some legitimate functions of the the federal government, Mm -hmm. legitimate functions of Congress, and, and we each should pay our share. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm in my my late fifties, and I've never seen such an attack or a disre- disrespect for our Constitution. I mean, it's what 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 has gotten us to this point on the Constitution. I mean, it seems like our politicians, our elected officials, uh, the Constitution is is not even a guideline anymore. It's just an an archaic document that we're going to ignore. Well, well, uh, I think that. <laughs> Excuse me. I think that uh, we can blame politicians a little bit. I think we make, we make a mistake when we blame politicians for our problems. Mm. Uh, that is, politicians are doing precisely what the American people elect them to office do, and the American people elect politicians to office on the promise that they will give one American a privilege that will be denied another American, 
or they will use the power of their office to take the property of one American and bring it back to them. And so uh, politicians, when they run for office, they, they are doing exactly what the American people want. And imagine, for example, let's say you, uh, you're you in the state of Pennsylvania, and, and I'm running for the Senate in Pennsylvania. And I go back and forth across the state, and I tell my fellow Pennsylvanians, I've read the Constitution, I plan to uphold the, uh, the Constitution, and I know what the Constitution permits. And so if you elect me to the Senate, don't expect for me to bring back uh, highway construction funds, aid to higher education, uh, prescription drugs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think I would get elected to the Senate from Pennsylvania? Uh, they'd probably send you to Gitmo from Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, the tragedy for our nation is that the people in Pennsylvania would be acting precisely correctly mm-hmm. uh, uh, in terms of their own interests, because if I don't bring back billions and billions of dollars uh, to the people in Pennsylvania, it doesn't mean that they'll pay a lower federal income tax. All that it means is that New Jersey will get it instead. Right. That is, right. once legalized theft begins, it pays for everybody to participate in. Right, right. Now, wh- where did this this contempt for liberty, where did this, uh, I mean, why, uh, why is, it ca- is it caused by a lack of courage of the American people or apathy, ignorance, I mean, just intellectual laziness, or is it... I want my piece of the pie because somebody else is going to get it anyway. Well, I, I think that's part of it, but I think that uh, it's it's a you know people have always coveted that which is their uh, neighbors, mm-hmm. and I think that we we should recognize that that personal liberty is rare in the history of mankind. That is the traditional history of mankind. Uh, he's been subject to arbitrary control and abuse by others. That's the standard fare of mankind throughout his entire history. Matter of fact, it's the standard fare uh, uh, for mankind around the earth today. But some historian might be saying, well, look, there was this little historical curiosity where people had uh, their private property rights respected. They, were, they had liberty. But it all went back to the normal state of affairs, arbitrary abuse and control by others. And if we look at the process, if, we, if I were to ask you the question, uh, which way are we headed as Americans, tiny steps at a time, mm-hmm. are we headed towards more personal liberty? Or are we headed towards more government control over our lives? I think it would have to be unambiguously the latter. Mm-hmm. And as government gains more and more control over our lives, it, or very often in the name of, of health, in the name of safety, in the name of other, other good things, uh, we, we're losing our freedoms. You know, I, I came across a phrase the other day, I forget where I read it, but it just resonated with me, and that's that... Uh, we as American people are preferring peaceful slavery over dangerous freedom. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Or we, or we like to be uh, uh, safe like a canary in a cage. <laughs> the, the canary is safe, but he's not free. That's right. You know, that's a great analogy. You know, I know you're a big proponent of the free market and laissez-faire capitalism. Uh, switching gears a little bit, how did we get to this level of crony capitalism, or as John Allison uh, from the Cato Institute says, crony socialism. Uh, yeah, uh, 
Well, uh, people just, uh, they find that they can use government to, uh, to you know, they, they find that they can pay politicians to, politicians to rig the economic game against us. And so <clears throat> rig the economic game in their favor. And so they, they just uh, cough up money. Uh, you know, uh, something that people don't think of. For example, America is a major producer of natural gas. Mm-hmm. And... And we and and uh, people in England and Japan would love to have our natural gas to be able to export it. But however, uh, there's a law against an, uh, uh, exporting natural gas, and you know the reason why is because a huge fa- campaign finance paid by um, users of natural gas in the United States, uh, <clears throat> such as. Uh, uh, the, you know the steel companies, the chemical mm-hmm. countries, the companies that use a lot of natural gas, they don't want to pay the higher prices that would result of for us to export natural gas across the uh, ocean. And so I'm saying th- it's crony capitalism like that. Now, that's just one example, of pop- possibly among thousands, way people uh, use uh, use Congress to rig the economic game. And so a lot of people say, well, we need to get money out of politics. Well, that's not the problem. We need to, what we need to do is to eliminate Congress's ability to do favors. Right. And if right. Congress can't do any favors, then the money won't come to Washington. Right. Yeah, if we could eliminate lobbyists and, and uh, that kind of, I've often made the comment that the day after uh, an election, the very first thought a politician has when his foot hits the floor out of bed is, what do I have to do to get reelected? That's right. It's That's not, right. what do I have to do for my constituents, you know? <laughs> that so. is absolutely right. And and to see, the tragedy for us is that if politicians do everything that their constituents want, then it produces something that none of us want. Right. That is greater government control of our lives, less robust economy, and, and diminishing freedom. You know, I, I, while I have you, I want to touch on, you know, we've talked a little bit about crony capitalism or, or crony socialism, and it seems like lately, lately we're getting into almost forced commerce, like minimum wage, that's kind of the obvious one, but also lately uh, government or the courts are forcing businesses to provide services and products against uh, against their choice uh, uh, of what they do, and, and we're reaching a point where... Why would anyone want to open a business? Well, what happens is that guys say, well, look, um, the, the government is, is rigging the game against me, so I'm going to go down and try to get a favor. You know, mm-hmm. a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I, I used to testify in Congress uh, quite often. I don't talk to these people anymore. But one time <laughs> I was uh, testifying in the uh, Senate uh, Labor Committee, and I told them that their big problem is uh, was inf- insightfully uh, – uh, pointed out in a in a Negro play called Green Pastures, but written by Marcus Cook Connolly, and somewhere in the play, God says to the angel Gabriel, "Every time I pass this one miracle, I have to pass four or five more to catch up with it." <laughs> and and that's the problem with Congress. That is, they will create a miracle for one person, mm-hmm. and that of necessity creates a non-miracle for somebody else. And that and that person that has non-miracle created for him, he's going to go to Congress and say, "Well, look, you messed me up. Create a miracle for me." Right. And right. so I, I suggested during my testimony that Congress ought to get out of the uh, miracle business and leave it up to God. 
So you don't talk to them much. They probably don't ask you back much from that either, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. Matter of fact, whenever I testified, it was standing room only, uh-huh. and I don't believe people came for came there for erudition. They probably were making bets on the side. Will Williams <laughs> be arrested this time? That's oh, that's terrible. Well, I've been talking with Professor Walter E. Williams, a John M. Olin Distinguished Professor of Economics at George Mason University and author of the new book, American Contempt for Liberty. Uh, Professor, this has been a true honor for me. I really appreciate you taking the the time with us today, and I hope I get a chance to uh, tap you on the shoulder again. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Be well. Coming up next, got a little bit easier to uh, get a gun in Washington, D.C. Not quite easy yet, but a little easier. And Boy Scouts are forming a new opinion on guns. You won't want to miss that up next. Gary Raspin, an economy of one. Now, back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Well, chalk one up for the Second Amendment once again. As you know, the District of Columbia probably has the most strict gun laws in the country. They also have one of the highest murder rates in the country. So I would guess there's a correlation there. But most recently... In a case called Wren versus the District of Columbia, Federal District Court Judge Frederick Scullin issued an injunction prohibiting the district from requiring anybody seeking to get a concealed carry permit be required to demonstrate a good reason, quote unquote, for needing one. Now, prior to 2008, it was a virtual ban on guns in Washington, D.C. And that's when the U.S. Supreme Court at the time threw out uh, as a violation of the Second Amendment in uh, District of Columbia versus Heller, Heller decision. Since then, the city council keeps trying to create language and put rules in place that make it virtually impossible for anybody in D.C., to get a concealed carry. Now, the latest reason, the latest language the city council put together was that a person needed to, quote, demonstrate a good reason to fear injury to his or her person, which shall at a minimum require a showing of a special need for self-protection distinguishable from the general community as supported by evidence of specific threats or previous attacks that demonstrate a special danger to the applicant's life. Now, since they came out with that language, there's only been a couple permits issued because they can't meet the good reason, proper reason requirement. They have to make a case to the powers that be, the police department or or whoever issues those permits in D.C., And that person then uses their own judgment as to whether you can get a concealed carry permit. So a constitutional right 
your right is based on an opinion of an individual. Now, the District of Columbia City Council keeps trying to make up reasons for being against concealed carry. They, they came out and said that there's empirical evidence shows that right-to-carry laws were associated with substantially higher rates of aggravated assault, rape, robbery, and murder. Now, the judge, Judge Scullin, rightly points out that evidence, that evidence is contradicted by, among other things, the FBI's own crime statistics. Now, with this language, Scullin, Judge Scullin, dismissed the argument as unproved. It's the court to conclude that people who do not have a heightened need for self-protection are more likely to commit violent crimes. In other words, if... You want a concealed carry just because you want a concealed carry? Are you more likely to commit a crime, a violent crime, with a gun? Great decision. Wrote a 23-page opinion report. I encourage you to look it up and read through it because he tears apart city council's language sentence by sentence. It's terrific to see this. Small victory in D.C. Victories are made by baby steps. You can bet that city council will come up with something else very soon to try and impede your right to carry in Washington, D.C. We do have affiliates in in D.C., so I know you're listening. But keep up the fight. Keep trying to get those concealed carries. Keep getting them and carry. It's important. It's important to our liberty. It's important to our economy. Now, that being said... Some progressives or liberals, whatever you want to call them, are infiltrating the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts. Obviously, they're back to their old philosophy of educating the very young so that by the time they get to be adults, they've already been brainwashed or indoctrinated into what the government wants. Boy Scouts have banned squirt guns. Squirt guns refers to them as, you ready? Firearms. The Boy Scouts have declared that water guns and rubber bands are no longer for shooting at anything other than inanimate objects. Really? I mean, can we take a little bit more of being a young person away from them? Can we? I mean, water guns and rubber bands must only be used to shoot at targets, and eye protection must be worn. Now, in addition to this... Water balloons. They put limitations on water balloons for the Boy Scouts. They have a size limit. Water balloons use small, biodegradable balloons and fill them no larger than a ping pong ball. It's it's amazing to me. I mean, I'm very disappointed. Makes me want to pull my money, my contributions from the Boy Scouts. Not quite, and I'm not encouraging you to, but I got to think about it. Why the rule? A scouter once said that the explanation is a scout is kind. What part of pointing a firearm, simulated or otherwise, at someone is kind? I think the important part of being a Boy Scout is the part being a boy. Let boys be boys. I played with squirt guns. I played with water balloons. I haven't killed anybody yet, although I'm getting close. I want you to have a great day. I want you to be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is the views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. 
listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.